You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. What beautiful words. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Jesus paid it all. He didn't make the down payment and we keep up the monthly installments. He paid the whole debt. So uh, good for Bert being able to somehow get through that prayer time. We'll, hearts will be with Gary and Barbara Stevens. And uh, as we <clears throat> enter into this time, I just want to make one announcement. <clears throat> On Saturday morning at 9 o'clock, we're having our next Grace Connection class. If you have been attending Grace for a while, you're thinking about membership, or if you just want to know more about how does the church function, there's something a little different here, but I can't put my finger on it. This is a great time to come and to determine whether or not this is a place where God wants you to be. I think we've got 12 people signed up, but we have several more who might qualify for this class As I say, you've been coming a while, so let us know. You can sign up online, see Jeff Kelly, talk with Jeff. He is in charge of the registration, though, uh, because family being in, I'm going to be leading all three sessions of the class on Saturday morning. So Grace Connection, 9 o'clock right here, but please sign up before you come. Talk to one of us uh, about that. Well, I want to ask if you remember the day or the moment even when you were first assigned a great task, something very meaningful. Someone called you and said, I want you to do so and so. A couple of years ago, I gave my grandson one of those kinds of tasks. Whenever he would come over to the house, uh, I told Eli what I expected him to accomplish when he visited our home, such as filling the bird feeders and flipping the burgers on the grill and that kind of thing. And that responsibility set his mouth twitching. You know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> you can't see it from here, but he's just, you could tell he's excited. You remember the first job you had, don't you? The gravity of responsibility, the focus of purpose, the thrill a possibility this new job you've been given before the lord saved me i had little purpose in my life save my own happiness at any given moment but the moment that i trusted jesus my life was filled it's like the holy spirit just flooded me with purpose for a, a, a reason for living I knew not only that he loved me, but that I had a job to do. I didn't know what was expected of me or would be expected of me, but I was convinced it would be great even if it proved to be difficult, which I was fairly certain it would. Shift to first century Palestine. I'm not sure we can comprehend the thoughts and emotions that the disciples experienced in the time frame between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension. We've already 
discussed this some last week, and we're going right back to that time. The disciples were both stunned and thrilled that Jesus was alive, but they weren't exactly sure what was in store for them. I imagine their mouths were twitching, you know, not sure what to make of all of this. Jesus met them in Jerusalem. He met them at least twice in Galilee. He met them again in Jerusalem. These are, only a, these are just accounts we know about. And then there was a whole lot more coming and going, we sense, in those meetings. So this morning, we're going to read about one of those times that Jesus met his disciples in Galilee. They, already, they were already on a mountain because he had commanded them to go there. Later, he would go to the Mount of Olives and instruct them, as we read last week, just before he ascended. But we're backing up a little bit. We're, just, we're up in, in, in Galilee, and they've had time... To process all that's going on. But still, don't you know there was a lot of excited confusion in their minds. Our text today, Matthew 28 verses 16 to 20, recalls the Galilee encounter at which Jesus gave the disciples what we know as the Great Commission. We believe he gave this to the disciples and by extension it comes to us. So the last five verses of Matthew's gospel are our text today. It's our custom to stand as the scripture's being read. So would you please stand together and receive these words as the very word of God. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. To the end of the age. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you and be seated. It is good that we're spending these last few weeks. Thinking about the instruction that gave, Jesus gave to his 11 disciples. Between, in that in between time. Between resurrection and ascension. So we're already in the frame of mind to hear these words that occurred a week or two ahead of the ones that we read last week in Acts 1. In Galilee, we find some doubting. Now, the Greek word for doubt is distazo, and it implies more uh, hesitation than it does doubt. It's kind of like, now, I'm not really sure what to make of this. It, so some worshipped, some doubted. And, and that means, most likely, Peter was on his face. And Thomas is going, yeah. Thomas came around. I mean, if tradition is correct, he took the gospel to India, to Asia. How important is that? And this guy we call Doubting Thomas 
had such a role in the kingdom of God and sharing the gospel. At the moment, he's like, wait, wait, what? I don't get this. We understand his hesitation, I think. Many of us identify with Peter. Many of us identify with Thomas so that we get why he was a little slow in seeing what others saw. As Howie Hendricks used to say, it's easy to teach people to think. The trick is teaching people to think well. And so Thomas was doing a good job of processing all of this, and he came to the right conclusions. Don't assume just because somebody doesn't see what you see in a moment's time that they're not going to get there. And in fact, they might get there in a little fuller kind of a full-orbed understanding of the issue than, than, than you have or that I might have if they take time to think about it properly. Some people spend all their time thinking. And, of course, Scripture says it comes down to believing. Well, verse 18 is another of Jesus' claim, uh, claim one of his claims to deity that is either true or it's an egregious lie. You're going to have to decide whether you think this is true or not. We're about to hear from Jesus in verse 19 the single most significant formula of Trinity in Scripture. But verse 18 points both to Jesus' status as God and his unity with God, but also his separate personhood from God. All authority has been given to me by God or by the Father. If God the Father had understood that Jesus was a mere human being, then this authority would not have been given to him. So Jesus was God, is God, and the Father, also God, gave him this authority. We could spend a lot more time here, but it would take two or three years to sort it out properly. So let's move on to verses 19 and 20 where there is plenty more to sort out. First... What do you think the main verb is in verses 19 and 20? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. What do you think the main verb is there? Your guess, if you do not know, might depend on your denomination, (laughs) Or your parachurch ministry of choice. The Greek is clear though. Make disciples is the primary verse. It is an imperative or a command. It is likely that go also has imperatival force. Everybody say that together. Imperatival. No, I'm kidding. Imperatival. So in other words, go sort of has the same, but it's not quite the same as make disciples. Certainly, go has a higher priority in this verse. Don't don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Than baptizing and teaching, which, while extremely important, are more the fruit of making disciples rather than the means of making disciples. I'm going to talk about baptism in a few minutes, uh, but I'll leave it there for now. When you translate from Greek to English, this is how it might look. As you are going, make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey or to guard all things that I have told you. Now, one change didn't make it to the screen. That should say baptizing them into the name. We'll get to that in a minute. Now, if you attend home group this week, you can speculate about the extent of instruction in these uh, verses uh, until your hearts are content. And though you will never exhaust the meaning here, you'll be able to go far beyond where we're able to go today, just as, as you think about all that Jesus is saying in these verses. Here are a couple things, though. First, Jesus assumed that his disciples, including us, would be intrinsically motivated to teach the gospel to all nations as you were going. As D.A. Carson writes, if we do not have an internal desire to spread the gospel, to proclaim the gospel, then the mission is lost before it's begun. You can't guilt people into witnessing or if you do, it's only good for a little bit. Now, maybe you can guilt them into it and they get a little taste of it and see the Holy Spirit working and they, and they begin to witness with that intrinsic motivation. But look, the, the, the point is, it's got to come from within. And that sort of is the focus of the second point, conversion is only the beginning of evangelism, not the end. Remember from a few weeks ago, if you are a follower of Jesus, then you are a disciple. Discipleship is not resolved or, or, or reserved for the super-Christians. If you believe in Jesus, then you are a disciple. But when you surrender your life to Jesus as a believer, your whole life, is required of you. But now here's the benefit. And here's one of the things that. Try to communicate on Sunday mornings is. Look. This sermon. This text that we're looking at. Is a snapshot. But it's part of a bigger picture. Jim and Joy Acock came over to our home the other day. And helped us finish a puzzle. One of the most ridiculously difficult puzzles. That my wife brought home that I've ever seen in my life and Jim put that last piece in but it was of a pelican and there's rich color once it's done you it's imagine that it looks like it's all the same color when you're trying to put it together you know it just all looks the same but it's just a little piece here and there and you're thinking oh boy I don't know about this but it's part of a whole this Christian life is not meant to be come to church Get a little energy and then go home. We might do a little bit of that, but, you know, it, we're, it's, it's not the, 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 the focus. It's not the goal to just get a little bit and then go back and come back, fill up your tank sort of thing. No, your tank ought to always be active because your relationship with Jesus is not just a, an occasional thing. It's your whole life. But as you live... This cruciform life, this cross-centered life. 
you will increasingly discern the benefits of a biblical worldview or a biblical social imaginary. There is nothing else that's sustainable. And there are a lot of times that Christians don't look a whole lot different from people in the world. But I'm telling you, our motivations are different. And it's long term. It's not short term. So Sunday morning is not just a little shot in the arm. But it is crucial. Which is why. Think long and hard before anything. Anything. Sports. Recreation. Anything takes you away. From Sunday morning. Because this is part of life to us. culture is going to throw all kinds of things at you and it makes perfect sense but I'm telling you the only social imaginaries the only worldview that is sustainable is a biblical one third when we baptize converts we baptize them into the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit one name Three persons, one essence, three persons, one nature, three persons. The formula given in Matthew 28 is the clearest Trinitarian formula in the Gospels and frankly in Scripture. It implies both unity and distinction. So I'm going to explain that in the next two minutes and I want you to take good... No, I'm just kidding. You... I'm not going to explain it in 2,000 years. We get the formula. But the mystery and the beauty of our God as Trinity. Who is the only God who completely gives everything. Our God is a Trinity. And being baptized into the name which the Greek Preposition ace requires. You see this construction, not exact construction here, but in, in the Gospel of John, pistuo ace, believe into the name of Jesus. When we are baptized into the name, it signifies something far greater than a mere ceremonial acknowledgement of our relationship with Jesus. Baptism represents our union with Christ. And so that is why a lot of people say when they go to church, I went to church, I heard the word preached, I communed with believers, I took the Lord's Supper, and I remembered my baptism. It, some of these people were baptized as infants. I can't remember that the, the actual event. Or as small children, you don't remember too much about it. But to remember your baptism is to remember who you are. You know, when your parents say, you, know, you remember who you are. You belong to this family. You're baptized into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptism represents our union with Christ. Fourth thing, just to mention in this text, obey comes from the Greek word tareo, which carries the idea of to keep or to guard 
or to treasure. Suggesting that Jesus' commands are a blessing, not a burden. Do you see how the nuance of definition informs our obedience? It's not simply a duty that must be observed, but God's word is a treasure to us. Keep my commands. Keep my word. Obey my word. Treasure my word. Guard my word. Don't let it out of your heart. It it, it is a privilege to guard these instructions, to proclaim the gospel to others and to pass the good news from one generation to the next. Well, much more in home groups this week. But let's think about three points of application. You're like, what? That was four points. Well, that was just explaining. Now it's three points of application. After that, there will... No, I'm just kidding. After that, we'll ordain the deacons. And go to brunch. Some of you will, anyway. If you're a follower of Christ, God loves you and has chosen you to take a message of his love to the world. You remember at the first of our text, some of the disciples doubted or more likely were hesitant because, well, (laughs) because... I love what Craig Blumberg said in speculation about their hesitancy. Quote, perhaps as elsewhere in this time period between resurrection and ascension, something about Jesus' appearance makes him hard to recognize at first. You know, they didn't always know who he was at first. Perhaps they fear how he may respond to them. Cowards. Weren't you the ones that were going to fight for me? And you ran away like little girls. Oh, man, I'm in trouble for that. Uh, But what kind? No, never mind. Um, Perhaps, and this is really significant, perhaps their Jewish scruples are still questioning the propriety of full-fledged worship of anyone but Yahweh. Or, most likely, they may simply continue to exhibit an understandable confusion about how to behave in the presence of a supernaturally manifested, exalted, and holy being. You know, I, this is one of those times it might be good for a holy hush. And don't, don't misunderstand. I'm not, I'm not confusing the speculations of one man about the Scripture to be equal to Scripture. But at the very least, this reflects very deep meditation on the Word. So just read this again and let the words, silently, and let the words wash over you.
Don't you love that last sentence? They may simply continue to exhibit an understandable confusion about how to behave in the presence of a supernaturally manifested, exalted, and holy being. They surely weren't glorified. If we saw Jesus in his glory, we'd fall on our faces. They didn't even have the Holy Spirit. And so they were wondering, what is this about? Do you ever stop to contemplate what it means that such a one has called you to himself? First, he loved you and saved you. Difficult case, though you might have been. You could have been exceedingly wild or exceedingly religious. Either way, you're a tough case. Second, he has put you in the very time and place of your present circumstances. And there's nobody in this world better suited to deal with the things that you're dealing with than you. He has put you where you are. Whatever your background Whatever your gifts or lack of gifts, whatever your health, whatever your emotional struggles, He chose you to be a light and to proclaim the gospel to others. He thinks that highly of you. Who wouldn't want to, in the face of such love and care, be motivated? To proclaim the good news to the world. At the end of Luke 7. The story is told of Jesus' meal with a Pharisee named Simon. Large homes in those days had a very open, expansive meeting area in the front often. And if it was a Pharisee, we know he was rich. Because they were certain that God had blessed them because they were rich. And that poor people were not blessed of God. So Simon The Pharisee said, Jesus, come on over. And there was a a, a woman who was widely viewed as a woman of disrepute who entered and began washing Jesus' feet with her tears, kissing his feet and drying the tears with her hair. Now, if you think this would be considered inappropriate in our day, just imagine what it would be like in the house of Simon the Pharisee. Now, let me explain a little bit, just so you can get the picture. They're most likely reclining. They're on a sofa, you know, and they're sort of reclining this way, and their feet are out behind them. Dirty feet, because they're wearing sandals. It's like to, to not wash someone's feet when they come into a home like that is like someone coming over and, and not offering to take their hat in their large winter coat, and they sit at the meal the entire time with their hat and large winter coat on. Uh, kiss was like a handshake in that day. And Simon thought, well, well, this was just too easy. We know he's not a prophet because 
He would know what kind of a woman this is. This is a sinner. And Jesus told Simon that he had something to say. And Simon said, okay, you've got the floor. So here is Jesus' response to Simon's thoughts. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon. Now, this occurred to me just before the bewitching hour last night, not long before. As I was reading through the sermon again. Remember how much we've talked about when the face of God is toward you? Think about everything and when the face of God turns away from you. Think about everything that's implied here. Simon, who's been thinking these horrible thoughts. Jesus knows his thoughts, of course. And he said, Simon, I have something to say. And he said, okay, Master, go ahead and say it. If Jesus is God, what does it mean that he turned away from Simon? And he turned to the woman and he kept talking. Simon. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You insulted me in the most public and horrific manner. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears continually and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss from the time I came in. She has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Immediately, there's chatter at the tables. Then those who were at the tables with him began to say among themselves, Who is this? Who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman in the midst of the chaos, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know, our biggest problem with witnessing might be that we think we're Simon and we've forgotten that we're the woman. When we know how much we are loved and how much we have been forgiven, we don't worry so much about keeping up appearances. We're compelled to tell others about Jesus. Second, The blessing of his presence with you has nothing to do with your success as the world measures success. But his presence in this text is connected to our witness. So, in in other words, he, he says at the very end of the chapter, I am with you always. I will always be with you. Not if you're a successful witness, but he's saying, don't worry about your witness because I'm going with you. It's going to be difficult, so it's connected. But success is the world measure success is not his concern. I mean, 
we may witness to somebody for many, many years. I have a friend who is contemplating turning back to Christ. And I've never said one word of gospel to him. He knew the gospel, walked away. But he knows the gospel because he knows me. And there, I shouldn't have brought that up. It's way too much to contemplate. I'm, but I'm just saying, you may witness till you're blue in the face ten times a year to a certain person. And they, you may die, and then they come to the Lord. Or they may never come to the Lord. But your faithful witness is the only thing that matters. And Jesus is with us always. It's wonderful how Matthew ends his gospel. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So it's not that you must be disciplined to hold on to Jesus. It's not that you're... Jesus, wait up. He is holding on to you. If you're struggling with doubt about your salvation, what is it? That you think you can do to make yourself right with Jesus. Or to make things right between you and him. I know it's not that simple. I doubted for five years. And those were miserable years. But it's not about our efforts, is it? If your hope of righteousness is in the good works that you strive to achieve. By being a good person and living by the golden rule. It's one thing to compare yourselves with others. But God requires perfection for all who will be allowed to enter his presence. The penalty for our sin is death. Not only physical death, but eternal separation from God in hell. And I cannot, I'm not allowed to take your punishment. And you cannot offer yourself as a substitute for someone else. Only a perfect human being could do that. Which just so happens Jesus was a perfect human being, 100% God, 100% man. And he came to earth specifically for this reason. So only when we recognize our sinful state before the Lord and put our trust in Jesus, who died in our place, can we stand before the one who is perfect. So how is it that we became perfect? Did we clean up our act? No. We're probably much different than we were before we were saved. But the reason we are considered perfect in God's eyes is because Jesus traded his righteousness for our sin. When we believe in Jesus, then Jesus, God credits Jesus' righteousness to us. So when you recognize the seriousness of your sin and you acknowledge that your only hope is Jesus, then when you believe in him, his righteousness transfers to you and it becomes yours forever. He will never leave you. Who wouldn't want to share that news? The good news that others need to hear. Thus, the final point. Fulfill as an imperative, a command. Fulfill his purpose for you with the great commission <coughs> where you are. And pray for the ones that we send to be faithful witnesses to the ends of the earth. 
Okay, I acknowledge that the wording on this point is a bit clumsy, but perhaps you get the, the attempt at communicating the urgency of our task both in, the, in our neighborhoods and around the world. Although we belong to Jesus and Jesus belongs to us, we cannot help but be affected, deeply impacted by the culture around us. In fact, despite our recognition, recognition of God's great mercy in our lives, the tendency is to not get too excited. My grandmother used to say, she may as well have said in so many words, I wanted you to get saved. I just didn't want you to get that saved. You know, she didn't say it quite like that. But she thought fanaticism and never missed an opportunity to tell me. And by the way, if you are a disciple of Christ, if you're walking as a disciple of Christ, you're going to be considered a fanatic. There's no way around it. You just are. You can be kind, gentle, sweet, but people are going to think you're crazy. And from where I stand, well, no, I'm not, I, won't, I won't go any further. Larry Crabb said this. Everyone's goal, both Christian and non-Christian alike, is to make life work. Avoid pain and remain independent of God. Here's the definition of non-disciple. It's true, isn't it? Don't you just want to make life work? Don't you get frustrated when life doesn't work like you think it ought to? Don't you want to avoid pain? Look, a lot of people say, and I understand two greatest developments in the last couple of hundred years analgesics and anesthesia just think about it. not flight not combustible engine not electricity all that but just a way to keep the pain down and to not have to undergo surgery with only a shot of liquor can you imagine the differences has made in our lives and can you imagine how soft it makes us over time. And we want to remain independent of God. Because while Jesus lives in us, so does Adam. The old man still lives in us. He's constantly calling for our attention. Sometimes he whispers. Sometimes he screams. But he's always there. We have spent the last 100 years in our nation and around the world really seeking to eliminate risk, danger, and pain. And it's one of the reasons people are so hyped up because you can't stay to where you live your life your way, I live my life my way forever. People want to know what's expected, what's right and wrong, and we're throwing it off all the time. But that's another beautiful thing about living under the rule of Jesus in your life. The law of Christ is liberty, it's freedom. When we follow Jesus, though, we're heading for a cross. The breathtakingly wonderful news is, as we go Toward the cross, we are blessed with the presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit as we fulfill the Father's plan for us. Brothers and sisters, may the Lord keep us from losing sight of the great purpose He has designed for us 
as it is articulated in the Great Commission. Next Sunday morning, Ricky Lee will be preaching from John 4, where Jesus calls for laborers to be put to work in the field that are ready for harvest. Interesting, though, that the disciples' primary work did not begin until after they had had at least three years of intense training. So, by the way, you want to serve the Lord and the missionaries that we have who are serving all over the world answered the call, most of them when they were young. So it's a crucial time when you're young to be listening for the Lord's voice in your heart about going and serving Him, listening in God, as you're reading God's Word. But if you are called to serve, make sure you're trained before you go. How grateful we are for those who serve the Lord in fulfillment of the great great uh, commission. They have taken the gospel to all nations. Even as we understand that the mission field for all of us begins just outside our front door. I, I heard about a young missionary couple that was being interviewed by a church mission team. Much like our mission team here at Grace is going to be meeting Today, after the second service, we have a, a meeting where we will discuss the mission ministry of grace. Uh, there was an older gentleman on this particular team who didn't say a lot. He just kind of observed. He was sitting there, but everybody was kind of feeling his presence. And finally, toward the end of the interview, he said, I just have one question. Uh, what are your next door neighbors names? What are their names? What are your next door neighbors names? And, and, and the, the young man, the husband said, you know, that's a very good question. I'm afraid I don't have the answer for that. He's like, well, why do you want to go overseas? To serve the Lord. Not every contact you have is an opportunity for evangelism. Colossians 4, 5 tells us to make the most of every opportunity. But again, not every contact is an opportunity. Not every neighbor wants to be known. The gospel is often shared in bits and pieces and it is surely received in bits and pieces. So if you've come today and you're like, okay, I'm hearing this. I'm not sure I'm putting all the pieces together. Just keep coming. Just keep coming. It'll, it'll make sense eventually. That's the way the gospel goes. We used to in the... 80s and 90s, we had a formula, and, you, and we would say, hey, love to share something with you, and we'd just go right, we'd check the boxes. And we also had, in the 80s and 90s, VCRs. We had a nice collection. You know, we had those players. But time moves on, and we don't witness the same way that we used to witness. Are there any two encounters in all of the New Testament that are the same? Every time you see somebody preaching the gospel or hearing the gospel, receiving the gospel, there's some continuity to the sermons that were preached in the, in the book of Acts especially uh, as the story was being told. But encounters are different. And so bits and pieces, that's okay. It's the Lord using his work. And you get... The point. We have a great purpose. And a lot of times we think 
One of these days, one of these days, I'm just going to have the courage to tell my friends the gospel. No, don't wait. You don't have to be trained to share the gospel. Just do it. So as we close, it's a good time to read Matthew 28, 18 to 20 one more time. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. As you were going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age, and he's already promised to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. When I am done praying, Bert Wallace, one of our elders, will be coming and leading us in an ordination process for the deacons. This is an important day in which we welcome new deacons uh, into service. And as he said earlier, they've been serving. It's kind of like that baptism, the notion of baptism. We are welcoming them and we are ordaining them into service as deacons in the body. Our Father, we, we, we thank you for the way that you designed the body of Christ. And our job as a church is to take the gospel to all nations. It begins right around us. You've designed it that way. There were people who wanted to follow Jesus and you said, no, stay home. Then there are others that are compelled to go and they must go. And we thank you for every one of the missionaries, the 16 missionaries that we support, some of whom worship with us every week. And Lord, through the efforts of the organizations in which, to which they are connected, though, the gospel gets into North Korea and the Saudi Arabia and other places where very difficult for boots on the ground. So, Lord, um, we thank you for this text. We thank you that you've brought us into this relationship that causes us to stand and to gaze in wonder at times. Then at other times, to know well uh, whose we are and the desire that burns in our hearts to proclaim the gospel to all peoples. So, Lord, may it never die. May that flame never die. And when we have our dips, may the body come around us and bring us back. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.